2: It's time for a new episode of TMG. Hi, everybody. Welcome to TMG. I'm your host, Travis Patton, Sr. I enjoy discovering and sharing real-life moments of inspiration from everyday people. And this show is about finding moments of inspiration for our everyday lives. And look, and if you're going to tell me something, then tell me something good. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of PMG. Let's tell me something good. I'm your host, Chadis Patton Sr. Guys, real quick before we do this. You know, I would like to join people to visit our YouTube page. That's tell me something good for the capital And as always, guys, I got to give a huge shout-out to my biggest supporter, my biggest fan, my lovely wife, Nicole. Hey, girl, how you doing? Nicole, that's your shout-out. I know you're watching. I know you're listening. It is Tuesday, and TMG is streaming. Uh, I know, typically, we're not here on Tuesday, but this is a very special episode. Guys, we're bringing back a guest that wanted to be on the show last week, had some difficulties. Travis, we got to do the show, man. I'm excited about doing so. We're going to bring in our special guest tonight, guys. Listen, as you know, for a very short time, this show has taken off. And it's being heard in places all around the world, guys, like uh, Japan, uh, like the Philippines, uh, China, Canada, Great Britain. And I'm so glad people are tuning in and listening. And if this is your first time listening to the show, your very first time tuning in, let me take the time to tell you thank you for tuning in and watching the show. Maybe, just maybe, you've been watching the show all along. And you said, Travis, man, I'm an avid watcher and viewer and listener to the show. Let me say this to you. Thank you so much for watching the show. I appreciate that. Now, listen, everybody knows that this show is all about finding moments of inspiration in our everyday lives, like me and, and like you. So, if you have an inspirational story that you would like to share with everybody, and maybe be a guest on the show. Don't forget to drop me a line right there in the email at something 21 at gmail.com. Uh, let me spell it out so if you're going to go back and you're not viewing this, it's t-e-l-l-m-e-something21 at gmail.com. Guys, um, I'm going to start off because of our special guest. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and do this real quick. I'm going to play a clip uh, from our special guest. Uh, He is a comedian. Uh, He's a comic writer and a TEDx speaker, a nine-time TEDx speaker. Guys, this guy has wrote uh, for some of the greatest comics uh, alive that we know about. Jay Leno on The Tonight Show. He has written for him. So I'm going to play a very short, quick clip for this guy before I bring him on. And guys, you have got to really enjoy this. So listen to this clip I got for our special guest.
3: Yeah, have you been to North Dakota? Yeah. Good people, hardworking, taxpaying, church going little heavily Caucasian. (laughs) I had trouble finding black licorice. Um,
2: (laughs) Guys, yeah, that's what the kind of is. Guys, says, I'm not going to hold up any longer. If you haven't caught today's message of what we're going to talk about, guys, today's message, today's topic is no laughing matter. Guys, I'm going to go ahead and bring out a special guest. His name is Frank King. Everybody give him a warm PMG welcome. Frank, get on the camera and everybody know how you're doing, man.
3: Well, you know, we have an hour, Travis, but between your uh, recorded introduction and your audio introduction, we're done. So listen, it's been nice being here. Um, tell your wife I said hi.
2: Don't <laughs> start too early, Frank. It's way too early to get started, man. So glad that you were here. How you doing today, man?
3: I'm busier than a hooker at a four-way stop.
2: <laughs> we're in for a ride, people. We are in for the ride of our lives, man. Uh, Frank, how's your day? How's it been going? What's been new with you, man?
3: Uh, day's going well. I uh, had a, a webinar this morning. Uh, it was titled How to Make Money Speaking at, on Cruises at Colleges for Corporations Associations. It turns out a lot of people want to make money speaking. And a lot of people will teach you how to be a speaker, but what they don't teach you is how to make money doing it. How do you get booked? Uh, you know, speaking is easy. Getting booked hard so anyway it went very well we had uh 40 people there um we're offering some group coaching if they want to sign up and uh, i coach make money speaking and and tedx of course because i've got nine of them
2: yeah um, nine
3: wow yep uh, bill gates by the way has eight <laughs> your move bill
2: <laughs> so he's next he's, is he playing checkers and you're playing chess right is that what you're saying yeah
3: it's, uh, yeah it's time hey, you to exactly. up your <laughs> yeah, game bill
2: yeah. Yeah, you're, you're top tier. Frank, <laughs> right, man, listen. First of all, thank you for coming back onto the show. We really appreciate that. I know all the, everyone is here, they're watching. They're glad that you came back. They're glad that you're here, man. And, you know, you and I were talking before this show, though. Know, typically, we make plans, but it's kind of like we have to negotiate with life if we're going to actually execute those plans well enough or not
3: yes uh what is it the jewish folks say man plans god laughs. laughs and mike tyson of course everybody uh, everybody's gonna plan until they get hit, hit in the mouth
2: and exactly that first punch will always make you rethink everything yeah should i be doing this or not yeah Frank, it's,
3: it, was, it was a good go day ahead. i did a lot of zooms had a lot of client calls you know coaching people to get tedx or coaching people to make money speaking and uh, it's uh, business is good
2: well, that's fantastic. So it sounds like you've
3: been kind of busy then, Frank. Yeah, I, last week I did a virtual sh- I did a virtual from here in my living room for 419 nurses at University of Wisconsin. I spoke on suicide prevention as a healthcare, health and safety issue. And then the next day in Portland, yeah. Oregon, I drove up two hours to Portland, Oregon, did uh, three hours of suicide prevention, uh, continuing education for police chiefs and fire chiefs. So uh,
2: business is good. Speaking business is good. That's, that's excellent. And, and, and that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. You know, you mentioned you did a lot of talking and on, speaking on suicide prevention. And that's kind of going to be the topic we were tonight. And guys, today's topic that like I mentioned earlier was no laughing matter. And, I, and, and the irony is that we are joined by a comedian and we're saying no laughing matter. And he's a comedian guy who goes around and he speaks uh, passionately about suicide prevention, and we're going to find out why this is so important and so 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 serious for uh for Frank, guys, because we want to dive into this. So, Frank, you and I, you know, we've done some talking and emailing and back and forth. So we've we've got to know each other, and we have got to talk and discuss. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about who you are and how you got to be a comedian and what where you are. How, how, Look, I know something about them. They don't. So share a little bit about yourself.
3: Well, people always ask, were you born, Funny. Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, an amusing thing happened on the way down the birth canal. <laughs> uh, no, in, in, um, in fourth grade, nine years old, told my first joke. Kids laughed. Teacher was hysterical. She was laughing so hard she had to excuse herself to go to the teacher's lounge. At that moment, I decided I'm going to be a stand-up comedian when I grow up.
2: Exactly. And,
3: 12th grade talent show, nobody ever done stand up. This is the spring of 1975. I did stand up and I won the talent show. Of course, I was competing against the accordion player and the folk dancers, really wasn't a, you know, a winner of fair. And I told my mom, I'm going to LA to be a comedian. And she said, no, you're going to college first. I don't care what you do when you get done. You can be a goat herder for all I care.
2: But you're taking your butt to college.
3: Yes. And, And so I did, went to UNC Chapel Hill. Got a couple of college degrees and boogie for the West Coast. Did my first amateur night. Halfway through my five minutes, I heard a voice inside my head say, you're home. And also I heard you're going to do this for a living. I had no idea how. Uh, 18 months later, told my girlfriend, now my wife of 35 years, I'm Uh, going on the road to be a stand up comedian. Do you want to come along for the ride? Figuring she'd go, oh, hell no. (laughs) And she goes, yeah. Wow so
2: we she was a- all
3: in no, she's all yeah. in oh yeah oh yeah no no we burned the boats there's no going back <laughs> gave her our jobs our apartment jumped in my tiny little dodge colt and we were on the road together non-stop no home she just came along with the ride for 2629 nights in a row non-stop
2: Ow. wow so yep. uh that's what you call a definitely uh life partner yes yeah, oh yes yeah, somebody asked me are you and wendy still together
3: who divorces a woman like that <laughs> yeah so did that 2629 nights no home did a little radio after that and when when radio ended as it always does there are two kinds of people in radio travis people who've been fired people that are gonna be fired <laughs> and i took a number one morning show and i drove it to number six in 18 months i didn't just drive it in the ground a friend of mine said you drove that thing in the middle earth uh when i got <laughs> done the comedy club thing had busted the boom had busted so but my act was clean so i jumped into the corporate comedy circuit uh-huh. you know conventions and somebody said to me what's the difference between a club comic and a corporate comic and the answer is five thousand dollars a night plus travel <laughs> so i made ridiculous money until 2000 2007 was my best year in comedy i think i i did 96 engagements i was exhausted Wow. But made over two hundred thousand dollars telling jokes. And it's then and then the last recession hit and that business dropped off eighty percent practically overnight. And where'd you go? Travis?
2: I'm still here. Go ahead. Okay. Put you on a screen.
3: Oh yeah, I'm sorry, like what the guy ghosted me in the middle of his own podcast. How the hell does that work? Um no, I um with the when the recession hit my wife and I ended up having to file chapter seven bankruptcy. They lost everything we'd worked for in 25 years. And that's when I learned what the barrel of my gun tasted like, literally. Um, spoiler alert for the audience. I did not pull the trigger. A, a friend of mine came up to me at a keynote recently, and he said this, and I quote, Hey, man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? I'm like, hey, man, could you try to sound slightly less disappointed? That's where the humor is in the topic. It's not jokes. It's funny, personal story. So, when I came back to doing conferences, the meeting planner said to me, Frank, we love you. We just can't pay you that kind of money just to be funny. You've got to teach the audience something. And I had always wanted to make a living in a difference, just had no idea how. And I read a book by a woman named Judy Carter called The Message of You, turning your life into a money-making speaking career. I went into it thinking I got nothing. And about halfway through, I thought, oh my gosh, I do have something to teach because given the fact that I have two mental illnesses, Close brush with suicide, and there are more nuts in my family than in a squirrel turd. That (laughs) if I've got some training and sort of, you know, in suicide prevention, got some certifications, I could keynote. And I got certifications now. Travis, the other hurdle, and comedians face this, is that I've been a comic at that point twenty-five years. Who's going to believe I can do anything serious? I said, How am I going to convince them? My wife said, Do a TEDx. I said, What's a TEDx? just so happened i got an email that week from tedx a so tedx up in vancouver british columbia you know say mm-hmm. hey, you know you're, you're welcome to apply so i applied i got it TEDx on suicide prevention and that kicked off my i went from being a funny speaker a comedian to a speaker who was simply funny and i've been keynoting on suicide prevention as a workplace health and safety issue since 2014. wow and it's you know it's it, unfortunately travis suicide is a growth industry i'm going to a college showcase
4: mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm.
3: this uh seventeenth, uh, 19th of march college kids come to this national showcase with their activity funds and an uh, advisor and they see comedians and bands and jugglers they also see speakers so right. i'll do 10, i'll do 10 or 15 minutes of my show and then they'll decide if i'm coming to campus and the reason it's important by the way is because uh Three college students a day die every day of suicide. Three a day every
2: wow. day. Wow. Wait, wait. Yeah. You said three on average, some uh, national, national average of yep. three college students a day for, just from suicide.
3: 24,000 college students every year, roughly contemplate, seriously contemplate suicide and 1,100 in their lives. So it's roughly, it's roughly three a day every
2: day. Wow. That's that's amazing. And we think typically when, when I'm in college, the first thing, you know, you have already had the expectations on you from family members, the expectations, you know, from your professors and your peers, and you want to do well. And for a lot of people, when they're starting college, you know, they're away from home, possibly. So there's a lot of thing, a lot of dynamics that are in place uh, for these young adults. To, to succeed, do best. You know, you don't want to let your parents down. They've already told their friends and their friends' friends and other family members. So you don't want to let anybody down. So this pressure's on you to meet expectations of people you've probably never met. And college has become
3: something of the Hunger Games in that you need to finish, you know, top of your class in high school yep. to get into a good college. And then you need to finish top of your class in college if you're going to professional school, veterinary medicine, dentists, attorneys, doctors. So and the latest study I saw said, sixty percent of college students have anxiety and co-occurring mm. mental health problems, and it's double what it was ten years
2: ago. Wow! So
3: they're not all suicidal, but over half of them are anxious,
2: and and they're they're feeling that they're feeling that anxiety on them. That's that's incredible. Your, your story, uh, how you began, is, a, is, is 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 absolutely funny. Uh, you broke off a good one to your teacher. You tell your girlfriend we're moving, we're going to, you know, you're gonna move across this country. We're gonna go do jokes. I'm gonna go do stand up comedy. She sticks with you, and so your career's kind of moving now, right? Your your career's kind of got a little little traction.
3: comedy is kind of business travel where you, as you move on in life, age wise, Mm -hmm. you need to reinvent yourself. I was a road comic for well, 2,629 nights, seven years and change. Mm
4: -hmm. I did
3: radio for a year or two. Uh, so, I reinvented myself as a morning DJ. I still did comedy, you know, and I wasn't on the air. Right. And then right, right. after that, when I got fired, I became a corporate comic instead of a club comic. And then last recession, I reinvented myself again, went from a funny speaker, a comedian, to a speaker who's simply funny. And now <laughs> I did a TEDx, and that was the first one. I just did my ninth TEDx February 11th in mm-hmm. Hamilton, Ontario, up in Canada. And so I coach people to get TEDx talks, and I coach people a separate program how to make money speaking. Wow! <laughs> Which actually is more popular. They're, they're, you know, people want TEDx, but man, they want to make a living speaking. And so that's uh, I'm doing that as well.
2: That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So your career is moving, man. You know, you you got you got your girl on your side, you the winds at your back, things are starting to roll. So your career's kind of up and going. It's moving. In. You're kind of finding your way a bit, right? In in show business and comedy from radio, you're kind of finding your way. So my question is, how did you begin writing for The Tonight Show? Uh, Hmm. uh, You know, you got to answer that one
3: there. Well, uh, back in the day, Jay Leno was the only, he was a permanent guest host for Johnny Carson. Back, Uh, I remember
2: that. I remember that.
3: And Johnny would, because it was his show, say to his staff, I'm taking next week off. Which meant every Monday was Best of Cars in the rerun. But Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Leno had to fill in for Johnny. And each of those nights, he needed 18 jokes for his monologue. Wow. So he started hiring road comics like me to fax in topical jokes. And I was faxing in a dozen, two dozen topical jokes
4: mm-hmm. for his
3: monologues for that week. And then when he got the job for real, you know, became his show. Right. He let most of the contract labor go, but he kept some of us on. And we wrote by, well, fact, fact, believe it or not, um, until he left for CNBC.
2: Wow. That's crazy. So you, you, so you had a, long, a pretty long, extensive stint uh, of producing. Probably 20 years overall. 20 years? Jeez. That's a lot. Uh, how, what did you enjoy most about doing that? About writing, writing for uh, Jay Leno in a Tonight Show? What did you enjoy most about
3: it? It's uh, two things. One, it's good practice as a comic. Keep your comedy muscle strong.
2: I, I write,
3: writing, that. Writing, writing a dozen or two dozen jokes a day, you really have to be working at it. <laughs> you have to think funny. You have to wake up thinking funny go to bed thinking funny. Yeah, I
4: like, know, right?
3: Back in the day, I had a VCR and I would tape the Tonight Show with Jay Leno on there. A oh, VCR? Like, do you remember that? And wow. I would watch the tape first thing in the morning of the monologue to see if he bought any of my jokes. So it was like watching that lottery show where they're pulling numbers. <laughs> um, and what I would do is, because we are all working from the same newspaper, same stories, if there was a percentage in the story like twenty-five percent of women, I would make it twenty-four percent of women. That way if I heard Jay start with, you know, you know, twenty-four percent of women, I go, that's my joke, because the number was really twenty-five. <laughs> okay. And so then, if if he if he did one of my jokes, I would get a check in the mail shortly thereafter for the joke. Wow,
2: that's 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 amazing. Who, who else did you write for? I wrote for Joan Rivers for a little while.
3: I wrote for Dennis Miller for a while. Uh, I think those are the only well-known comics that I wrote for.
2: Wow, pretty busy. So having to write for these these topless a list A-listers, comics, keeping everything going, keeping everything fresh keeping them fresh in front of the camera, from doing their monologues, to keeping the show moving. Um, that could be like a pretty high-pressure role to play in a larger business. And, how, and it's a huge call. So, Yeah, you know, like,
3: it's not difficult for me. It's uh, joke writing comes naturally. It's, I believe it's part of my mental illness. I have two mental illnesses, depression and, and suicidality. And I think my creativity and imagination are just the flip side of that. Mm. Same brain, same wiring. I can teach you to write and do stand-up comedy. I cannot teach you to process the incoming information.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh,
3: so- I'm off in somewhere, and somebody will say something, and I'm the only one. I bet you've done this. I bet you've been in the movie. <laughs> and you're watching a movie, and you're laughing at something, and you look around, and you're the only one laughing. Because you've you, you got the joke. And that's how it is for me day in, day out. I, somebody will say something, and my brain will turn it around into a joke almost immediately. And wow. so it, it's yeah it's it's I I really think it's I think I've done several TEDx talks. The last one was called the last one on this topic was called I'm not broken I was made this way because Dang. I I kept meeting people with a mental health challenge but they had some other amazing ability you know they had this disability right, but right. Not ability and I think that's you know that's I think that's the blessing and the curse of my mental illness is that I have this other ability it, it is a reason that I can take down a heckler without. Without literally without giving it a thought, I'm at a club one night, a uh-huh. young, young woman out. She's drunk. I'm, I turn away from her, so I'm taking attention off of her. <laughs> but she gets to the door with them, with the bouncers. And then she must have heard something sounded like her name. She starts turning back because, you know, drunk's are voice activated. Oh, yeah. So she turns back to me and she screams, F you. But she didn't say F. F you and before I i didn't think this, I just said to her, No, honey, not even for practice and <laughs> standing ovation. And somebody came up afterwards, and said, How did you think that up so fast? I didn't think it when you heard it. I heard it. I, I was surprised <laughs> you were it was real
2: time, buddy. It was real time. So, <laughs> it was a question for me. So, yeah. with all this going on, you know, doing well, you, you got to write these, got to write these, uh, these these jokes, keep them going, keep them coming, keep them churning, so to speak, uh, to some that might have been pressure. What did you feel any pressure? And if you were and if you did, how were you able to manage it? And if you did, uh, it, there was some pressure. I mean,
3: I was on I was doing under, uh, as a contract labor, meaning mm-hmm. I was I was writing jokes on spec. So if I didn't turn in the end, you know, that's and now if you're in house and that was that was a dream was that Leno actually plucked some of the contract labor From obscurity and brought him in house, NBC, the right that was the dream. I I never got that far. But you know, those guys, they they have a a quota to meet.
2: Wow. And
3: so that would be um I had a friend who wrote for Dennis Miller in-house, and he said some days you just sit in front of his computer and then the screen would go dark. And he realized he'd been sitting there fifteen minutes without thinking anything funny. So that was that pressure would have gotten to me. The fact you're on and you have to compete against everybody else in house. You know, they give you premises. All right, everybody write wow. best joke. Right, everybody write a rant.
4: <laughs>
3: and so, yes, that would be, I think that would be pressure packed. And comedy, making people laugh. People, it's difficult to make people laugh. No, no, I've been doing that since I was nine. The difficult part, Travis, is getting booked, uh-huh. getting the job. When people ask me what I do, describe your job. Okay. I'm not really a speaker. I am a sales and marketing person who speaks. 85% of my time is sales and marketing. 5% performing, 5% writing, 5% traveling. But I'm a salesman, really. And because when you start doing speaking or comedy, you are working on 100% commission. You eat what you kill. And that's what, I started with 35, 30, 35 comics at open Mike night back in the day.
4: Uh huh. Oh
3: only three of us ever escaped gravity and were able to make a living at it because the other people just didn't have the business sense. They just had no, Mm. they couldn't. Yeah, and we weren't the funniest three, by the way. (laughs) There were people in that that graduating class at open mic night who were far funnier and they never went anywhere. My mother would say, because talent, mother very Southern, talent. money is neither necessary nor sufficient you don't have that talent look at some of the comics rosie o'donnell was not particularly talented as a comic however she was a great marketer steve harvey by the way was not a great comic as comics go nothing he wasn't putting the comedy at him he just sold those jokes like nobody's business and turned it into an industry i worked with steve Steve saved my behind one day. We're we're in a we're in a Birmingham comedy club. Went to the YMCA to play basketball, and I'm playing in a game with the locals. Steve uh-huh. on the sideline with a couple of locals, and one of the guys got mad at me, and he comes up, he's bumping chip, we bumping chests as as guys are wont to do. Yeah, yeah. And the guy on either side of Steve Harvey starts to step on the court to help out their friend, and Steve goes, "Look, fellas." I don't. I don't even like Frank that much. <laughs> but Wait a minute! I came with him, and so if you get into this, then I got to get into this. It's just going to get ugly. And they step back. Now, Steve and I both got thrown out of the gym, but I didn't I get masked. ass yet.
2: I can imagine. I can imagine. Right, guys, you know, guys. I want you to hear what we're talking about. You know, our topic is no laughing matter. And and Frank is really giving us some of what we need. You know, he's talking about his career in comedy. Now we're going to jump into something that that really kind of sheds a different light on what we're talking about. So you're known, Frank, as the Mental Health Committee. Did anything occur with you that brought about that name? I heard you mention you had two things that you deal with a lot. So what brought about that name? And, And you. You can elaborate on the part you mentioned earlier, We said you know what the barrel of your gun tastes like. What, what happened?
3: Well, uh, we, went, we filed bankruptcy, and depression and suicide run in my family. It's called generational mm-hmm. depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide, my mother found her, my great aunt nine years later died by suicide, my mother and I found her. I was four years old and I screamed for days. And if you're mm-hmm. already hardwired for depression and suicide and you're that close to an actual suicide, chances of you seriously considering taking your life at some point later in your life go up and that's what happened i was hardwired for it and i i had a million dollar life insurance policy i knew i could restore my wife financially if i pulled the trigger and I, i just went to the barn to practice see if i could put the gun in my mouth pull the hammer back i was practicing because i didn't know how long i'd have the insurance policy and i knew from my six years of selling insurance straight out of college there's a two year suicide clause. If you kill yourself in less than two years, nothing. If you wait two years in a day, she gets a million bucks. Well, it turned out I'd only have my life insurance policy 22 months, I'd have waited 60 days to kill myself. Not a problem. I can do that. Fortunately, I wasn't marking days off the calendar. You know, and I don't remember day 61 or two or three, uh, things must have gotten just a little bit better. And that was 2010. And in in 2020, in August, uh, August 9th, a chapter seven stays on your credit for, for 10 years. Well, on August 9th of 2020, the chapter seven came off. We worked our way out of bankruptcy and back to solvency. Uh, but again, I had been doing comedy and comedy just wasn't gonna cut it anymore. I need to speak on something. So I, I chose suicide prevention as a workplace health and safety issue. And unfortunately, it's a growth industry. That's how I, construction has the worst suicide rate of any in U.S. industry. 1,000 people die of accidents, 1,000 of accidents in construction every year. 5,000 die of suicide. That means you're five times more likely to jump off that building than fall off. So I do, I speak to a goodly number of construction associations trying to bring the suicide rate down. And I have two mental illnesses, major depressive disorder, which is depression it's not situational it's like a wheel Mm -hmm. with a flat spot every time you know i've been most depressed some of the best times in my life wow and chronic suicidal ideation chronic suicidal ideation which is relatively rare i mean i have mentioned chronic suicidal ideation out loud to mental health clinicians and a goodly number of them have no idea what it is they stare at me at that point like a pig looking at a wristwatch (laughs) and it's not in the big book of psychological ailments the dsm and here's a here's a description of chronic suicidal ideation for me and people in my tribe the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small and I tell the audience when I say small my car broke down a couple of years ago I had three thoughts one get it fixed two buy a new one three I can just kill myself wow absurd but here's the upside Travis (laughs) <laughs> every time I tell that story, and I've told it every keynote I've done since 2014, there is usually one person in the audience, sometimes more, who has chronic suicidal ideation. They don't know it has a name. They think they're just some kind of freak and all alone. And and I had been to the college recently, and a young woman came up afterwards, thanks for the keynote. Said, welcome. She goes, but God, got tell you, it made me weep. I said, how to make you weep? She said, you know, your story about the car, get it fixed by a new and kill yourself. Yeah. She said, I've been having those thoughts all my life. I didn't know that I had a name. I thought I was some kind of freak and completely alone. And when I heard you say out loud, you have this, I realized, she said, for the first time in my life, I am not alone, and I wept. That's the power of starting the conversation on suicide. Now, the comedy, the humor is not jokes, but funny personal stories. And what that does, Travis, is Mm -hmm. that makes it far more digestible. Exactly comic relief for a reason Uh, there's a psychological principle if you have to tell somebody something serious and then you follow up with a little comic relief their brain is much better prepared for the next serious piece of business so absolutely i make it digestible i make it memorable with humor and i make it make them comfortable with me you know talking about the subject and here's what happens travis Uh uh-huh i have to allow a half an hour to 45 minutes after i speak to handle all the people who have lined up with an individual question of <laughs> story. I'm telling you, I've heard the most amazing stories from people I've just met. And Travis, they mostly start like this. I've never told anybody this. You know, I get that a lot. <laughs> I mean, they tell me things they haven't ever told anybody. I was doing a construction event in Cincinnati, uh, a black gentleman, mid-20s, I guess, saw my presentation, got in line. When he gets to me, he's crying so hard he can't speak. So I wait. I said, man, what's up? He said, I've lost three people. I said, what? He said, I haven't slept in two days. Uh-huh. I, I work on the fifth floor of this building. I think about jumping off every day. And he, hmm. said, he said, I've lost three people close to me in the last year to violence, including my daughter who died in my arms. Oh, wow. Now, he's never told anybody this. His friends, his family, his coworkers. I waved the HR guy over. And hmm. I said, look. I said right, to the young man, are you willing to go with the HR guy? And he goes, yep. And I told HR, look, you need to take this guy to a mental health facility now, directly yeah. now, because he's circling the drain. I called the mean planner back a couple of weeks later and held my breath when I asked, how is he? And she said, Frank, he's medicated. He's back on the job.
2: Wow, that's good news. That's, that's good the ROI.
3: News. Uh, my goal in life, Travis, is to save a life a day. And that was that was the one I saved that day
2: let me tell you something frank guys listen and i want y'all to understand frank saying, look i had a lot of good things going for me it it made a, it made a, it did a, it made a turn and when that made that turn his his mind where well, his mind is hardwired as frank said was to go to look at the gun or, you know the gun as an option some of us may say well that's a little extreme or that's something that i would not do or you would not do but because of the way his mind, his heart was hardwired, it went there. And and here's what you we have to understand: we cannot be or accept feelings of shame or or or, or condemnation or feel bad about the thoughts that go through our like, head. Get some help for it. Look for some look for some different sources for some assistance for that. But what keeps a lot of people, I believe, uh, Frank, from uh, getting that help are those senses of. I'm ashamed, I'm afraid of the stigma that's gonna be labeled on it. How do I tell this doctor? How do I tell this person, I've this doctor, I'm, I don't know that I'm having these type of thoughts. If you are having unhealthy thoughts and we continue to allow them to sit and brew, eventually we see this enough in the news, they continue to sit and brew those unhealthy thoughts become actions, they become unhealthy actions. And those unhealthy actions hurt more than just us. They hurt other individuals, around us it is important that we pay attention to what the thoughts go through our heads right well and
3: because men myself included oh yeah i was was raised in the southeast
2: and i was taught big boys don't cry big listen i'm in birmingham alabama i'm in the southeast i know what you mean that is that is that's
3: why eight out of ten suicides at this moment in this country are men because
2: then we don't reach out for help Absolutely, and it's because you know we're we're taught to be self sufficient. Big big boys don't cry. rub some dirt on it, walk it off. All those things. Off. <laughs> some, yeah. some stuff, some stuff, Frank. You just can't walk off. You just can't.
3: Well, Travis, if I can make a uh, public service announcement to men, is they not only they not only ignore their mental problems. Men tend to ignore their physical problems. I, I've had several man. friends die of colon cancer and prostate cancer, and I, it was completely unnecessary because if they've gotten a colonoscopy or to, taken a PSA test, both of those conditions are eminently treatable if you catch them early.
2: Absolutely.
3: But men also neglect their physical health. So if, you, if you're 40 or over, you need to get a colonoscopy and take a PSA test. It's a blood test. They'll tell you whether you've got prostate cancer.
2: Absolutely. So. I'm, I'm with you. I've had mine already. All right, I got you. Yeah.
3: And colonoscopy is no day at the beach. Trust me. But
2: uh... <laughs> guys, guys, what we're going to do right here in the middle of the show, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick 30-second break because i got to make a mention that this show is also a part of the show sponsored by Walmart. That's right, guys. Uh, I'm going to place a link in the chat and i don't want you to send me any of your money I don't want you to do that what i want you to do is do what you normally do shop 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 but when you do shop click on the link that's in the chat i gotta say this guys when you do click on that link in the chat uh, i may earn a commission when you buy through this link uh whether you do the walmart grocery pickup Whether you're buying that special gift for someone or you're just buying something for the home, use this link and shop, guys. Walmart is an affiliate sponsor of TMD. Tell me something good. Guys, use that link. It's right there. And there's also a QR code as well that you can scan as well. Thank you very much, everybody. Appreciate that. All right, Frank, so we heard that. What are some things that, or some steps that did, that helped you to kind of recover your laugh again? What are some things that you did? Because there's somebody listening, I guarantee. There's somebody listening either now, or they're gonna come back and say, "Man, I I, I had some things happen in my life. I don't have a reason to smile. I don't have a reason to laugh again." What makes you think? What makes some things that you did for it to help get your laugh back?
3: Well, speaking on suicide prevention and helping people is very therapeutic. It's it's one of the reasons that I'll kill myself because because I figure if I did, I feel like George Bailey in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I've been showing what these people's lives might be like if I weren't there simply to reassure them they're not alone. And if exactly. I kill myself, I'd probably take some of those people with me. So that, that keeps me alive. I have a self-care plan. Good. Um, yeah, I think everybody should have one. People called me during the pandemic knowing I'm mentally ill and said, are you holding up during the pandemic i go look here's the deal i've had two aortic valve replacements a double bypass a heart attack three stents i've totaled three cars and i lost to a duck puppet on star search this is not the worst thing that's ever happened
2: (laughs) so you've been you've been through it
3: (laughs) yeah so self-care plan and when i speak i think you should have action items so my action item is you need a self-care plan here's mine Very simple diet i'm on a mm-hmm. keto diet i do intermittent fasting exercise exercise every day good night's sleep people nowadays it bothers me worries me they brag about how much sleep how little sleep they can get by on i'm much rather you brag to me man i got eight solid hours last night
2: i yeah, know right
3: so, diet exercise good night's sleep meditation i think you should i meditate twice a day it's a guided meditation about half an hour after a meal and medication if it's required you know if it's re- recommended here's a tip on medication travis Mm-hmm. If you're taking a psychotropic a medication, psych med, and it ain't working, they now have a DNA cheek swab test. You put your DNA on a Q tip like you do for Ancestry, send it off. Mm-hmm. They'll send you back a list of one or two antidepressants that'll work best with your metabolism.
2: Oh. And,
3: and the test is only a couple hundred bucks. Many insurances cover it. And it helps eliminate that go on, it didn't work, taper off. Go on, didn't work, taper off. So it narrows down the list and makes the transition to meds a lot easier. And here's, the, here's, the, here's what connects all five of those things, Travis. Uh-huh. They're all, all things I can control. Wow. And as somebody living with a mental illness who wakes up in an uncertain world every day, whether there's a pandemic or not, I need something to help me get out of bed in the morning and a self-care plan. Here's the second element. It's called um, gamification. You make a game out of it. If I can't get out of the bed, I make a list, a literal six item to do list. I get up, I start doing the, you know, the things on the list. And the Mm -hmm. game is, Travis, when I scratch off number six, I can go back to bed. I don't care if it's three o'clock in the afternoon, broad daylight. I'm going to crawl back into bed and watch a new season of The Mandalorian. So
2: I got to catch that.
3: Yeah. uh, First episode released, I think the second one may, may be up now. But that's, it's called gamification. The third leg of that stool, they asked an astronaut who was in the space station for a year by himself, hey man, that is really social distancing. How do you stay sane? And he said, one word, schedule. He said, I go to bed same time, get up same time, eat same time, exit. So I have a schedule, go to bed roughly same time within an hour, get up same time within an hour, exercise same time, eat same Mm -hmm. time, Binge watch Netflix, same time. Um, so it's a schedule. That's that's my three-legged stool. That's my self-care plan. Again, all things I can control. And because some, you know, sometimes the world decides you just got to let the rest of it go because you've got no control of it.
2: Wow, wow, it, it, guys, did you hear? It? So we have so In other words, what I'm hearing, Frank, is we have to uh, be intentional. Intentional about some things, So we have to get involved in some things in our life and say, hey, I'm going to make a plan for me. You know, yeah. the whole concept, oh, it'll just go away, doesn't work. It it doesn't. We have to do some things for ourselves intentionally, on purpose. Self-care, gamification, having a routine schedule uh, for ourselves. And it gives us a reason. Somebody's already put it all in a nice, pretty little uh, bubble there. Uh, Thank you, <laughs> Nicole. Uh, trust me, she's a she's – like that, Uh, uh, but it puts it and makes it where we have a reason, as you say, to get out of the bed, and the reason to take again, and it gives us a reason to find our laugh again, to find our smile, our reason why again. Now, you travel all over, man, speaking everywhere on depression and mental health, and you have done nine, nine, nine TEDx talks, as we see behind you, TEDx, uh, many including myself, still looking for our first one so you and i might need to have a conversation a little bit later on uh so how do these come about and can you help others get a text talking what do, yeah. what do we need to do how do they need to contact you about this what do we need to do man
3: well uh you can always find me at the middle the mental health comedian just type in the mental health comedian even without the dot com because that's my brand a friend of mine gave me that when I told him what I was going to do, he goes, man, you are the mental health comedian. And of course, I ran out and bought the dot com, the mental health comedian, mental health comedian. So that's how you can find me or just put mental health comedian in the Google search without. Trust me, I'll come up. Uh, I'm old, but I got an amazing social media presence. Um, the intentional, as you would say, the um, and I coach TEDx, I coach people to get TEDx talks. I've got probably three dozen of my clients have done at least one. Some have done two and one guy's done three. Yeah, the first one I did, I had to apply for. Second and third, two TEDx events, saw my first and said, do you have any more mental health topics? Yep, so they Mm -hmm. booked me by invitation. The fourth one I had to to, um, apply for. The fifth one, my favorite, and they didn't even make me audition because the title and subtitle were so good in the application. The title was Mental Health and the Orgasm. Treat your depression single-handedly. I my opening line was I love my iPhone, but I gotta tell you, it is my second favorite handheld device. <laughs> oh, Travis, I closed that and I got a standing ovation with a joke. that my wife said, "Don't do it," and I said, "It's gonna kill." And the joke was this: <laughs> I, said audience, I said to the audience, "Do you know why they call an orgasm an orgasm?" And they're looking at me like, "No." And I said, because nobody can spell. And I got a standing ovation.
2: Oh, wait a minute. What'd your wife what say, right?
3: She said, I told her. I came on and said, honey, kill. She got me a standing ovation.
4: Oh, my God.
2: I, I see why, right? We got to watch you. We got to watch you. So you help individuals in TEDx talks. You you do a lot of speaking around the country, everywhere uh, on mental health and depression. And that's why we're having this talk today, guys. No laughing matter of depression, mental health is not something to laugh about it anymore. Uh, well, it's not something yeah. that people to take funny and say, "Oh, and make fun of it." Uh, it's a very serious thing.
3: Yes, and again, I don't tell jokes about it. I have funny personal stories, like when I did my first TEDx. I said to the audience, I did some research. I went to TED.com, the website, and there's hundreds of thousands of talks. And I looked up, I put in the keyword box, suicide. Figuring there must be dozens of talks on suicide. Well, it turns out there oh, were three. Oh, three.
2: wow. And I, said,
3: I said to the audience, well, duh. I mean, if you're really good at suicide, you're not going to be around to record <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's humor in there. I mean, my friends called me. A guy called me the other day, called me late on the phone. He goes, uh-huh. man, I'm sorry I called late. I hope I didn't leave you hanging. I said, would you like to rephrase that? Uh, just funny things happen all the time. A young woman was booking me for a keynote. She knows I put a gun in my mouth, and she said, uh-huh. you're doing the keynote for us. And I said, yes, Michelle, what do you want me to cover? She said, just give me a few bullet points. So oh, I, let that, I let that hang in the air, and she goes, "Oh no, oh no, oh no!" I go, "Relax, Michelle. It was just too funny not to point it
2: out." <laughs> wow, man! I, I I wish we could do this all night, man. I am so honored, Frank. I get to talk and meet wonderful people like you, man. I really am, and Thank I'm you. gonna get some. I'm gonna get some information from you. God, listen. They say that laughter is good for the soul. Guys, we smiled and laughed a lot tonight, but depression and suicide are real. Uh, if you yeah. feel you need to speak to someone, you can call your local crisis uh, center near you. I did not have that information to put in chat, but call- Nine, your-
3: 988 is the new three-digit suicide prevention lifeline and text line number 988.
2: That's why I thought it was. I wanted to make sure, but I'm glad you verified that.
3: Yep used to be a you know an 800 number we work for that de- we as in the mental health community worked for decades to get a you know to get a three-digit number
2: there it is right there guys nine it's on your screen 988 is your suicide prevention line guys if you're feeling overwhelmed like you need to speak to someone please reach out to someone <clears> not <throat> in this alone go ahead frank and
3: 988 also works as a text line because younger people are far more forthcoming in text. They don't like talking on the phone. I don't know if you've tried to call a young person recently, but I don't even bother leaving messages anymore because <laughs> I, I text them and they were, get right back to me. That's just the way young people are wired.
2: Oh, trust me. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we know that. They definitely will text you sooner than they will call you. I promise you. Yeah, oh, yeah. So you can use that 988 as a text or you can dial it, it a matter, you will be able to get in contact um, with someone. Uh, so if, if you find that you need some help, please go through that. Listen, uh, also keep in mind that you might find help, help that you need to find your next laugh. Guys, uh, let me go ahead and get, 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 get out of here. Guys, it's That time. And as always, it's been a real blast. Listen, don't forget to visit our YouTube page. That's Kevin to Good with the capital T. And to tune in right here each Thursday at our new time, 6 p.m. Central. However, this week, guys, we will have another special guest. At 6.30 p.m., another live interview. He is an Elvis entertainer. But what makes this individual so special is that he has autism. And he's going to share his incredible story of how autism doesn't stop him or prevent him from being the best that he can be. Frank, thank you so much for being part of the show, man. So glad that you have been here, man. Any parting words before you get out of here, man?
3: Yes, let me close this as a comedian would. Um, If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe and tell your friends. If you did not enjoy the podcast, we hope you have no friends.
2: Now, that right there, you can't get any better than that, guys. Don't get to stream your favorite episode or your favorite streaming podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Pandora, and so forth. And before we get out of here, you know how we're going to do it. If you're going to tell me something, then tell me something good. I'm out of here. I got to go.